I, sometimes you ever sit in a sermon and you hear the topic of the sermon and you're like, start looking around for somebody. Like, man, I really, is Bobby in this sermon? I really need to make sure. Sorry if your name's Bobby. But you look around and you're like, oh man, Bobby, he really needs to hear this sermon. I'd really love for, oh, he's not here today. I'm going to share it on his Facebook page. Like, hey man, we really missed you. Check out the sermon. You look around and you, and you think about somebody else. Well, that's not today's sermon. The title of the sermon is Why You Need Prayer. And I think I can uh, confidently say that everybody in here needs prayer. These verses that we're going to look at today in James chapter 5 on prayer is for everybody. You need prayer. Not just tomorrow, not just a week from now, not just a month from now. You need prayer today. In our American society, especially in our, our Christian life, we, we want results right now. If you, if you want to know something, you Google it. You pull your phone out, you Google it. If, you, if your food is cold, you pop it in the microwave real quick. We want instant results. We don't have a lot of patience, especially in the United States. We, want, we live in an instantaneous society. We want it right now. Christians, especially American Christians because of our culture, we love the results of prayer more than we love the discipline of prayer. We want to see God work now. Quick prayer, microwave prayer, and then say, God, I want to see you work. But that's not always how God works. So once you see the importance of prayer, I think it's going to challenge you to be more disciplined in your prayer life. And from James chapter 5, we're going to see four reasons why you need prayer. So if you're in James chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read the whole passage that we're look at. So James chapter 5, it gives us four reasons why you need prayer right now. So let's read it. James chapter 5. I'm going to read 13 through 18. Here it says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. From this passage, we're going to see four reasons why you need prayer. And the first one comes from verse 13. It's that prayer provides comfort. Look at verse 13. He says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Here the context in the book of James. He is preaching about those who are going through trials, through temptations, those who have been persecuted for believing in Jesus. Earlier in chapter 5, he talks about these rich oppressors who have taken advantage of people in the church. And so they are going through some hard times, and they fall under this category of afflicted. It means to undergo a hardship, someone who is in trouble. So what's the solution? Pray. Then he says, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Now these verses can often be 
uh, interchanged. They can be transposed. So you could, you could read the passage and say, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. And then you could flip it. You could say, is any afflicted? Let him sing psalms. Is any merry? Let him pray. He's saying it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in. If it's a good situation, if it's a bad situation, you should pray and sing psalms of praise to God. Prayer brings comfort when you're afflicted. And God wants you to bring that situation to him because he cares about it. The antidote for suffering is prayer. Earlier in Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16, the Bible says, Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The high priest that you have, Jesus, when you go to him in prayer, he understands. He lived life as a human, and he understands our emotions, our feelings, and he has compassion towards that. At the time of your greatest weakness, God tells him to go to him. He tells us, come to him for comfort. But where do we go? What are some things that you turn to when you want comfort? We use the word comfort food, right? You say, I love this food. Like whenever I'm having a bad day, if I could just get this food or just get a cup of coffee or whatever it may be, and you're like, ah, oh, brings temporary comfort, right? But we, we turn to so many other things. We share our problems with our friends. We gossip at work. We, we put it out there on social media and say, hey, here's my problems. Feel bad for me. We turn to other vices, food, coffee, alcohol, pornography, drugs, relationships, and other fleeting things that the world offers and we come back empty. And God says, hey, don't chase after those things. If you are afflicted, if you are going through a trial, a hard time, pray. It shows dependence on God. When we don't go to God, it shows our pride. Because to admit that, say, God, here's what I'm going through. I need help. It shows humility. So going through a trial, put the phone down, unplug the Wi-Fi, Get alone with God and talk to him. So why do you need prayer today? Because it provides comfort. The second part, the second reason we see is in verse 14 and 15. Prayer provides healing. Look at verse 14 again. It says, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. This person, in verse 14, the Bible says, is any sick among you, diseased, weak, or fable. So you have affliction in the first part. They're undergoing a hardship. But this person here has succumbed to the hardship, the disease. And the Bible says to pray over them, to call the elders of the church, which were the pastors, the bishops, the leaders, and call for God to heal them. The Bible says that God is Jehovah Rapha. God is healer. That was the Old Testament name for God. And he's the same God that healed people in the Old Testament. The same Jesus that walked around and healed the blind and healed the lame and the sick is the same Jesus that you can pray to for healing. He hasn't changed. God is the same. So prayer provides healing. And, and many have taken this verse and, and twisted it, misused it. You may have watched healing services, uh, where these big open-air 
places. And if someone doesn't get sick, then they're blamed. It's you didn't have enough faith, so God didn't heal you. But the prayer is not the one who was sick. The prayer is the one who was called. So really, if, if they're following their own, their own logic, then it's their prayer that didn't save you. It was their lack of faith. However, James is not describing this public healing service. It's a private prayer meeting. It's the elders of the church have come to this person's house where they're sick. And then he kind of gives like a, a procedure for it. So look in verse 14 at the end. He says, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So oil in those days was used. It was, a, a medi- it was used for medicinal purposes. It was rubbed and massaged into the, the wound. But oil would not cover every single sickness. So he, he doesn't just throw out this blanket statement because oil wouldn't be great for uh, certain sicknesses. So he says, the prayer of the faith shall save the sick. Uh, but before that, he says, the oil in the name of the Lord. So it's more of a ceremonial, like David when he was anointed with oil. I don't think Samuel rubbed and massaged the oil into him. He, he just poured it over. It was a sign of the Holy Spirit. That was covering him. And the, you ever heard the or term bathed in prayer? Like people, I, I used to hear that growing up. We need to bathe this in prayer. It's kind of that picture, like bathed in oil. It's massaged it in oil. It's covered in prayer. And here's the promise in verse 15. He says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. And so the question you can ask about this passage is this a blank check for healing. If you follow the procedure, you call the elders of the church, have them anoint you with oil, then pray. Is God promised to forgive? Well, it's simple, right? It says the prayer of faith. You pray, have the elders pray over you, pray to Jehovah Rapha, and he will heal you. The context gives us a lot of clues here. First of all, Look in verse 14, the very first uh, part. It says, is any sick among you? And then look in verse 15, and the Bible says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And in our uh, English translation, we use the same word for sick, but really it's two different Greek words. That first word uh, in verse 14, and I don't want to go too deep into Greek because I don't speak Greek, I don't understand it fully. But it says, is any sick among you? That's the word astheneo. Astheneo, which means... Those who were sick, weak, diseased. And so many times, it's about a 50-50 usage. Sometimes it refers to a sickness, and sometimes it refers to uh, a physical, spiritual weakness. But here, it's referring to physical weakness. But then in verse 15, it says, The prayer of faith shall save the sick, a different Greek word, which is komno, which means weary or fainted. So this is a person who has succumbed to their sin and is in the physical state that they are in because of their sin. Well, how do we know that? Because it says at the end of verse 15, and if he hath committed sins, it's saying because he has committed sins. It's not that, hey, pray this prayer of faith for your sickness, uh, and God will forgive you if you have any sins too. It's combined. It's the 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 confession of sins must be included. James, he talks about trials, temptations, rich oppressors. Verses 19 and 20 helps, gives us context, because it says that if you do err from the truth and convert him, it's talking about those who actually went and prayed and helped heal and convert one. 
We are to pray in faith. But ultimately, that must align with God's will. 1 John 5, 14. We have confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So how does this, so what is the crux of this passage? It's James telling those who are spiritually weak and weary and have some physical disease because they've succumbed to that sin. You have hidden that sin. You have harbored that sin for so long that now it's bringing physical, spiritual weakness into your life. Here's what we know. God still heals people today. He's Jehovah Rapha. Your disease or your sickness is not necessarily a result of your sin. It isn't that God punished you for your sin. But there are some people who have partaken in a sin. And that sin is a direct result of their physical ailments. They are in pain. They are in suffering because they have sinned. David, he talked about this. David, in Psalm 32, remember when he sinned against Bathsheba and he hid it? He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. He said, my bones were shaken. Have you ever been under such conviction that you just can't function? You're you're so worried that people are going to find out who I really am, what I really did, that you can't even function. And and you're you're nervous, you don't want to go out. I think a lot of Christians have, have been put in this spot with COVID the last six to seven months. We've been quarantining, we've been working from home, limited contact with friends and family, and we isolate ourselves away, and we don't have that accountability, and we start to take and partake in sin, and the Bible says that that can lead to physical stress, anxiety, depression, and the Bible says you need help for that. Call on somebody. Ask for intercession. One of Pastor Pete's greatest strengths is compassion and prayer. He is so compassionate. He can be going through the most stressful day in the world, and he, somebody walks in, or we're at a restaurant, or we're at the store, and he can just forget about it all and show love and compassion. So if this is you, if you have succumbed to your sin, and you are physically weak, And just struggling, the Bible says, call on the elders, ask for help. Because prayer provides healing. So prayer, it provides healing. It provides comfort. But third, it provides forgiveness. Verse 16 says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that ye may be healed. Sin is forgiven when we pray. When you forgive your sins, the Bible says you should confess. What does confess mean? It means to say the same thing as. Now, I won't do this with you, but when I'm with the kids, this is what I'll do. I'll say, okay, you guys repeat after me. I'll say something, they repeat. I say something, I repeat. And I'm like, okay, it's time to stop. And then they always say, okay, it's time to stop. And I'm like, no, really this time. And then they repeat it. And it's a really fun game. So I I won't do that with you guys because I think last time I preached, I said, all right, if you have a question, raise your hand. But I'm not with the kids anymore. But I'm trying to teach them that to confess means to say the same thing as. It means that you read the Bible, God says that lying is a sin. God, I lied. God says that fornication is a sin. God, I messed up there. God says that disobedience is a sin. God, I disobeyed. It's repeating what God says. So if you don't read the scripture, do you know what God says? You can't go very far from the beginning of the Bible 
before you see sin. And so if you are reading the Bible, you will say, God, oh, wow, I messed up there. I messed up there. Confession is to say the same thing as God, admitting that you are a sinner. And here's what it says. It says, pray for one another that ye may be healed. Completeness, wholeness. One of the greatest things that causes disunity in the church is sins against each other. I'm not going to forgive that person. You do not know what they said about me. You don't know how they think about me. You don't know what they did. And you're right, I may not. But God does, and he tells you to confess to one another so that relationships can be restored, not only between you and God, but between you and other people in the church. Is there someone in the church that you need to confess to? Is there someone that you just don't get along with and that you need to confess? If you don't, you're causing disunity in the church. But sometimes, you know what we do? Oh, I can't pray today. I sinned. Oh. We do the complete opposite of what God says. Like, oh, you know what? I'm not praying today because I really messed up yesterday. And God says, no, come to me when you sin. Every time. He says, if he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is there any sin between you and any other believers? Is there sin between you and God? The Bible says confess it because prayer provides forgiveness. Prayer provides forgiveness. Prayer provides healing. Prayer provides comfort. And lastly, prayer provides power. Let's read verses, the end of verse 16. It says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias, who was Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then in verse 18 it says, And he prayed, Elijah prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. The end of verse 16, it says the effectual, fervent prayer. Effectual, fervent is one word in the Greek, and it's the word energeo. Where do you think that word comes from? Energy. Power. He's saying the power in your life is prayer. You are merely the conduit. This is exciting. Because remember what Paul said? He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God doesn't look at you and say, I have told you, get out of the way. Let me take care of it. God uses our weaknesses to accomplish much. We are merely the conduit. We don't provide the power. If it's just there and it's not plugged into the power, we are not working. You can clap your hands and you can stomp your feet and you can flip the breaker all you want, but if you're not plugged in, if you don't have the power of prayer, there is no energy. But when you do, he says, the effectual fervent, the energy of prayer availeth much. That word availeth means it has much force. It has much power. It is forceful. And then he gives us an example. What does that mean? He uses the word, or he uses the illustration of Elijah. Elijah comes onto the scene. If you want to go with me, go to 1 Kings 17, chapter 1. So let's go to 1 Kings 17. Let's look at verse 1. I want you guys to see this. 
1 Kings 17, verse 1. Up until this point, there is no mention of Elijah. No mention of Elijah until this verse. So in Elijah, 1 Kings 17, verse 1, it says, Elijah, the Tishbite, who was the inhabitant of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these three years, but according to my word. So you have this guy, Elijah. No mention of him before. Not even sure if they knew who he was. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. He walks in and says, hey, Ahab, it's not going to rain. Walks out. Wait, wait, who was that guy? Wait, what did, wait, what did he say? Wait, say that, hey, come, hey, Elijah. And the Bible says right after, God says, hey, run, <laughs> you better go. And he runs and he hides at the brook. That's what he came in. There's no recording of this prayer. So in James, when it says that he prayed fervently, there was a lot of preparation before he just walked into Ahab. He had to be pretty confident because the Bible says that Ahab was a wicked king. But where did Elijah come up with this idea like, hey, God, these people are being really bad. I've got an idea. Let's not let it rain for a while. Where did Elijah come up with this crazy idea for him to just walk in and say, hey, it's not going to rain. Let's do more legwork. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 and 17. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy 11, verse 16 and 17. God is giving the people of Israel the rules to live by. He says, take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived. And you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens that there be no rain, that the land yield not her fruit, unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord gives you. Elijah didn't make this up. All he did was say, God, would you do what you've already promised? You said, if the people were evil. What did God say about Ahab? Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord. A lot of kings did that, right? He took it a step farther. And earlier in 1 Kings, he says that Ahab, it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. He didn't even take a second thought. He just did it. He just sinned. 1 Kings 16, 33, the, right before Elijah comes on the scene, the Bible says, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel were before him. Combined. Ahab was evil. And Elijah was living in this evil society. And he said, God, you said, if, you, if we don't follow you, if we turn to other gods, then you will not make it rain. And he says, okay, Elijah, go. Elijah didn't come up with this idea. All he did was pray what God had already said. He prayed what God had promised. So when we go back to James 5, and we look at this, and he comes and says, it's not going to rain until I say so. He was just the conduit. He was just the messenger delivering and praying what God had already said. So what has God told us? How do you pray what God has already said? Where's the power in your prayers? Well, we looked at it already. God will give you comfort if you pray when you're afflicted. 
That's a promise. If you're afflicted, if you are going through a trial, if you take the time and the discipline to pray, God gives you comfort. God will forgive your sins when you confess. In Philippians chapter 4, the Bible says that God will take away your anxiety, your depression, if you pray with thanksgiving and you let your requests be made known to God. Prayer doesn't have to be hard. You don't have to think, okay, pray for my cat who died. Pray for my brother who needs Jesus. It doesn't have to be hard. Prayer can be simple. You can just open the Bible and pray through what God has said. First Timothy. I'm studying this. Me and Brad meet each week and we're studying through First Timothy. And, and this really hit us. First Timothy chapter 2. It says that we should pray for all of those in authority. You know when Paul wrote that? Who was in authority? Nero. He lined people up down the streets and had them on flames. And, God, and Paul said, hey, pray for him. How hard should it be for us to pray for those who are in authority? Politicians, leaders. My wife, she sent me this uh, interesting meme this week, and it was really challenging. Here's what it says. It says, Kamala Harris is beloved. Donald Trump is fearfully and wonderfully made. Mike Pence is cherished. And Joe Biden is important enough that I died for him. Signed, Christ Jesus. It's really hard for us to talk bad about someone when we realize that they are a, they are a soul that Jesus died for. They may make poor choices. They may not follow the, the party line that you chose, but Christ died for him. And Christ died for Ahab. He died for Nero. He died for Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. And he's died for our leaders too. Have you prayed for them? Before you post something, pray for them. It may change your mind. John 15, 7, another promise. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. Not because you just made something up that you wanted, but because you took God's words and you begged him to do what he said. And you say, man, I could never be like Elijah. I could never just walk in with that kind of power. But at the very beginning of 17, he says, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. Elijah was a human being just like you were. He sinned. He got depressed. At one point, Elijah says, God, please, would you just kill me? I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. But he trusted God, and he had power in his prayer. And James says, you can have that power. You can have that energy. And you can see much accomplished through your life by the power of God. So why do you need prayer? This isn't just for someone else, the person next to you. This is for everybody. The Bible says you need prayer. How's your prayer life? When is the last time you got alone and you took time to pray? Prayer provides comfort. Are you afflicted today? Are you struggling? Are you going through a hard time? Pray. Have you come under the captivity of sin and it's led to physical ailments? Have you harbored some secret sin for so long that you can't even function? Call upon the leaders of the church to intercede on your behalf. God provides healing. Prayer also provides forgiveness. Is there sin between you and God? 
Is there a sin between you and another believer? Confess and receive forgiveness. And lastly, prayer is powerful. It's not just a waste of breath. Is there power behind your prayers? If you're praying the will and the words of God, there will be power in your prayer. We all need prayer. We all need comfort, healing, forgiveness. And we can see that power in our country and in our lives. So let's start now. Lord, I thank you for the clear teaching of your word. Lord, I thank you that you show us that prayer should be an important part of a Christian's life. And so I ask that you would help us to take seriously the command that you give us to pray. Lord, I know there's people in here who are afflicted. They're undergoing a hardship, and they need to pray. There's some in here who have been under such conviction and such, they're so entrenched in their sin that they need healing. They're experiencing physical ailments because of their sin. Or there's some in here who have sin between you and between another believer and they need to confess that. And then there's many of us who just feel that our prayers are empty or powerless, but it doesn't have to be that way. We're just like Elijah, and we can have that power. So I ask that you would speak individually, help the Holy Spirit to convict hearts and to show what their need is. And we'll thank you for how you work.